All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Cutler Cast, and it is episode 16. I always get that wrong, but we this time uh, we have someone super special in the house. I'm, I'm uh, happy to have Dan the Man, okay, President and Chief Olympia Officer, the man of many titles. We go a super long way back. Welcome to uh, Cutler Cast, Dan. Jay, it's good to be here. Think of all the times that I've interviewed you over the years and uh now we're doing this role reversal which i kind of like and uh congrats on this you guys are really blowing this podcast up it's uh everybody's talking about it, it seems like anything that is said on this show becomes the source of a storyline yeah. in the days and weeks to come so i remember back when bob chicarello and i were doing pro bodybuilding weekly years ago we would always almost take pride on our ability to be conversation starters, right? That was always a big part of it. Of course, now there's such a saturation. There's so many shows out there. It's hard to, to do that like we used to. But back in those days, Bob and I would introduce a topic and and we would just let it fly. And then everybody would kind of take it and run with it. What I loved about Pro Bodybuilding Weekly, um, you guys always had your episode of Mondays, right? right? So it was after like an eventful weekend. Yes. And, you know, my greatest memories are Olympia. But it seems like now, like we still face that every single week there's different know topics or controversy and it seems to be more and more now with social media and uh there's been a lot of in the news lately about our, our good friend sean ray yeah you know it's uh it's funny you mentioned the sean ray thing because um it's amazing how my phone blew up on that one um it seems like on some level anything that happens it, it makes its way across my desk on some level um, and we, and we take it all pretty seriously. We do. Um, the Sean thing was interesting and it got me thinking because for starters, I want to be clear about something because I know there's folks who watch these shows and listen to these shows and they, they love to get those sound bites. Mm -hmm. So I want to be really clear. Um, I don't agree with most of the things that Sean said. I want to be crystal clear about that. Sean says things all the time that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking when Sean's comments went out there and then people were reaching out to Jake Wood, who of course owns the Olympia and muscle and fitness. And they were reaching out to all sorts of people talking about the idea of firing Sean and canceling Sean. That was a big conversation and it still is. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, you guys will appreciate that. You especially Jake. Do you remember years ago when every time any of us did interviews, whether it was myself or Bob or, or, or athletes, we were always accused of being puppets, remember? They would always say that our words were being controlled, that on some level the leaders or the leadership was telling us what to say. Sponsors sometimes. Right. And that was always a big deal. There was always a talk that everything that was put out there was controlled and managed and um, censored, right? That was the big thing. And now here we are. Um, a few years ago, you know, I, I, I took the job uh, um, doing what I do. And, and I know Jake feels this way as well. We've worked really hard to shift that vibe. We've worked really hard to give people who have opinions the freedom to express them. And it's a really important thing because there was a long time where folks who did the things that Sean Ray does, or even let's, took a, let's think about the other opinion givers out there, the, the Palumbos and the Romanos and all these guys that have opinions, guys that I have tremendous respect for, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, they say things all the time that I don't agree with, all the time. 
And I remember there was one time where um, I think Romano said something about our dear friend, the late Peter McGuff, in which he called him out for for um, his alcohol consumption. It was something that he had said, and mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate it because you know, I'm a close friend of Peter, and I have tremendous respect for him and what he's all about, and I didn't really appreciate those comments. But I also understood that at that particular moment, John Romano had something he wanted to say, and while I didn't agree with what he said, while I didn't appreciate what he said, I didn't call up anybody and ask anybody to fire him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually on many levels, um, appreciated the fundamental idea of his freedom to express his thoughts. And to this day, John happens to be one of my favorite people. I, 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 have, I have tremendous respect for his opinions. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, or Dave, or many other guys out there. Um, and I'm sure many of them don't always agree with what I say. But I really, really work hard to provide a culture where the folks who work for me and the folks who work throughout this industry are given the freedom to say what they have to say, even if it makes people uncomfortable at times. Um, and even if I disagree with many of the things that they say, um, I think we should all stop and take a step back and be very careful about asking folks to be canceled or fired because a lot of the people who are asking for certain people to be canceled or fired are the people who they themselves are some of the most intensely questionable opinion givers out there. So I always just say, let's celebrate our freedom to express ourselves. It's okay, Matt, if you say something today that people don't agree with. And it's okay if somebody has a problem with what I'm saying right now. Um, Instead of saying, let's fire that person, let's cancel that person, let's discuss their opinions. Let's use it as an opportunity to have dialogue. And let's use it as an opportunity to open up new types of communication. And I think that's something that got lost in all this stuff with Sean. Crystal clear, I don't agree with the things that Sean said in the interview in which he was being scrutinized for. And I reached out to Sean and had a very strong conversation with him about the things that were said. Yeah. But that conversation did not include termination, firing, or canceling. It included a message of sensitivity, a message of respect, because I think everybody in this industry um, deserves that. Um, But at the same time, and I know Jake agrees with this um, wholeheartedly, um, we celebrate your freedom to have an opinion and we celebrate um, just the overall shift in how far we've come over the last few years in terms of not censoring people, not limiting their ability to give opinions, not making people afraid to give an opinion for fear that they are going to be terminated. And if we enter into that place again, where people used to criticize us of being, um, that would be a major step backwards. So hopefully people can understand that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I spoke to Sean after that case. Um, I know that some things, I mean, it's just kind of like the Schwarzenegger thing, right? I mean, people wanted to cancel Arnold and, and, you know, he said some things that, of course, people took out of context because, you know, listen, the guy was making a statement. I think everything gets misconstrued on the internet as they cut sound bites, right? I mean, we talk about this a lot. <clears throat> and although I think Sean would probably state himself in a different sense if looking back now, um, and it was a sensitive time, right? I mean, 
you know, we lost a great one and, and obviously we never want to disrespect anyone. Um, and Sean, you know, listen, he was a hero to me. I'm going to be honest. I mean, he was a guy I looked up to. He always, and listen, you know, in 2013, you remember my comeback in 2013, I, Sean Ray's like, Jay's not going to compete. He's lying. And I said, you know, screw Sean Ray. I, I had no issue like telling the media and everything like, he's full of shit, whatever. And of course I proved him wrong. And he came up to me and said, you know what? You did it. And whatever, listen, I didn't fare as well as I expected, but at the same time, like we had our disagreements too. And, you know, everyone should be able to speak in this business in a certain sense. And, you know, I just feel that, um, you know, time passes everything. And, you know, Sean's still someone that obviously has a lot of knowledge, um, a lot to give to the business. I mean, he's still doing what he does. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. I'm the same way. I actually spoke to Sean about a week ago about it. And I, I just, I just said to him, you know, some, sometimes some people don't know how to talk about things with like a gentle stroke. They just, he's abrasive. Out, yeah. Yes. And he just puts his opinion out there. It's it, someone's opinion is not right or wrong. That's his opinion. That probably wasn't the best time to put it out. And he probably wasn't the best person to put it out there because he's just, Black and white, he just throws it right out there, and he's not a little more gentle with how he's he just says not things. well liked, guys. Let's let's be yeah. honest. It and, is funny, and that, he's always been to me. He's always he's always been good to me. Like I have no issues with yeah, him. Yeah, the, 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 the timing, the tone, and the messenger are always a critical part. Yes. You, Jay, you could have said potentially the same things, or you know, and not not even focusing on that specific day, but there are times where the three of us could say the same thing, yes. and they're going to be metabolized differently by the public based on people's of perceptions of who we are and perhaps our history of giving opinions. So, um, yeah, Sean, um, I got to be honest with you. Sean has a lot of detractors. Let's be honest. You don't need me to tell you that, right? There's lots of people out there that are not fans of, of the mm-hmm. things that Sean has to say. And that, that certainly goes for a lot of people. And um, I, um, I will tell you, though, that I, I've really grown to appreciate the um, – I've really grown to appreciate – um, the audience and the fans and the passion of the audience. Um, and sometimes they're not always on my side. They're not always on your side, but um, I, I really love the, 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 just the overall passion that the audience feels about the athletes that compete in these, in, in our sport, um, the topics. Um, there's, there's definitely, we've come, and I guess social media has brought it all to the forefront, but it's, it's really fun to just see the overall conviction and the passion of the audience, the folks that watch shows like this. And um, it makes our jobs a lot more fun and because we really gain a sense for how much the things that we do, um, how much they're in, how much they impact people. Yeah. And when I say impact people, I'm not talking about in um, ways that uh, change the world. Let's not overstate what we do here, right? We run, you know, we work in, a, in an industry that, and we're proud of it and people enjoy this lifestyle and, and they do with it what they will. But um, I am, it, it does fill me in, in a very significant way by how much the folks, the, really millions, and people throw the word millions around freely, but it is millions of people around the world. These are the people that when you get off airplanes in, different, in, in seven different mm-hmm. continents, they greet you like you are royalty. And you know, when Chris Bumstead is doing a signing somewhere, they're lined up around buildings or when topics of tragedy or positivity happen, people have very strong opinions of it on it. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's great to see how far we've come because there was a time when these storylines were so 
peripheral. They were so on the fringe. And now um, we're seeing people in all walks of life paying attention. Um, when I'm home, I'll have neighbors who aren't even in the bodybuilding world that will have heard about the things that we are talking about. And it didn't used to be that way. Well, you were just a voice, right? You were just a voice. And now, you know, we have visual. Everyone wants to see. And of course, people are going to be listening to this on Spotify or whatever. But, you know, when you started off, you know, you were doing, um, you know, pro bodybuilding weekly. But man, I remember going back and back in 03, doing muscle camps with you in Florida. Uh, you know, you were helping guys. You were kind of, I guess, managing a little bit. I think early yep. years, Darren Charles. And, you know, now we fast forward and you are like leading the Olympia. This is like, I mean, think about this. This is what Joe Weider started, was taken over by American media. And you listen, people had their their opinions about how it was run, right? We went through the challenge round years. I know we talked about that. And uh, now, how does it feel to stand in front of the audience and produce? I want, you know, we're going to talk about the ad, a lot of the adversity that you had to go through with the Olympia, but uh, what is it like? What is it like now? I know it's a lot of pressure because you and I speak off cameras and everything else. And I remember the first year you finished the Olympia and you sent me a picture of, of a cocktail and you were in like a lounge chair in the fine land. I said, dude, you deserve this vacation. Yeah. And I, I mean, what does it feel like? I mean, what does it feel like to go from, I know you were a fan of it sure. and I know you followed a lot of the greats now and, and obviously supported a lot of us, but now like you're leading the biggest bodybuilding contest on the planet with the most history with the greatest champions. What is that like? So, the other night, um, I was home with my son, and Pumping Iron came on. It just happened to come on. You know, they will play it every once in a while, and it came on. And, um, of course, as everybody knows, Pumping Iron is the story of the 1975 Mr. Olympia in, uh, in South Africa. And um, I remember watching him watch this movie. And, of course, it is the same event that Arnold Schwarzenegger won seven times, it is the same event that you can go into bookstores or you can go onto Amazon and do a search for Mr. Olympia books. And there's many books written about this contest. And so to your point, yeah, there are times where I am humbled and almost overwhelmed to think that this iconic institution um, now um, falls under, you know, my oversight. And of course the ownership of, of, of Jake and, and of course, Jim Mannion is very much a partner to what we do. And, and, but it's, 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 it's intense, to be honest with you. And it's something that I take very seriously. When you asked me the question, you said um, that I was a fan. And I'm still a fan. I still love this stuff. And um, I think one of the areas that has really sort of equipped me to do this is I didn't just come in as an event producer. And I wasn't just given a job to produce the Olympia. I came in... As you said, I was an athlete manager. I was a content producer. Um, I was an editor. I was a writer. I was a host and a commentator. Um, I, I, I've raised a lot of money for projects. In Do you remember the time we you talk, spoke to me about doing a supplement brand? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I wish you had taken me up on that then because you since went on and did one on your own and you're killing it. But think about the number of... And there was actually a time, Jay... Where back when I was starting out, I was trying to get you to let me manage you. Um, I couldn't get that deal closed either. <laughs> so for all the deals that I was successful, and there was a lot of them that I wasn't able to close, and you were one of them. Um, but 
But in all kidding, in all seriousness, um, all these stops along the way um, from, you know, making, you know, we, we made a movie and, um, you know, created all I sorts. I want to talk about that too. Yeah, and we created all sorts of things along the way that have given me a chance to know what it's like to sit in the press pit, know what it's like to be on the production side and, and all that. So I really feel that that put me in a place to really try to um, heal a lot of things that needed to be healed. Um, I remember, Jay, when I got hired, one of the first calls that I made was to you um, because I had sensed that your relationship with the Olympia wasn't what it had been. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that you want to get into that now is, 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 is beside the point. But, you know, you had won the event four times. You were probably, not even probably, outside of Arnold, there's nobody who is more, you know, tied to the story of the Olympia than you, certainly in my journey. I mean, in my 20 plus years of doing this, you know, it's you and everybody else. And even, even Ronnie Coleman, as incredible as Ronnie is, and I think we would all sit here and agree that Ronnie Coleman's probably the greatest bodybuilder of all time, right? Mm. But the impact that you've had on inspiring other people to become bodybuilders, um, to inspire other promoters to become promoters, there's been many times for me personally that I've hit crossroads along the way. You and I would get on the phone and this happens about every seven or eight years where I'd say, you know what, maybe I'm going to go do something else. Maybe I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to get into a different part of the entertainment industry, or maybe I'll go work for major league baseball, or maybe I'll go do something sort of outside. And I always used to joke with you. I used to say, well, as long as you're doing this, I'm going to keep doing this and you stay doing it. And, and so did I. And, and you've had such an impact on me, but on so many others. So when I got this job and I got wind that you weren't thrilled with certain things about the relationship you had with, with the event, it was so critically important for me to fix that. And there were so many other things that needed to be repaired in terms of folks that I thought were so central to the Olympia experience for so long that suddenly I wasn't seeing them at the show. I wasn't seeing their companies sponsoring the show. Folks had convinced themselves that they didn't have to be a part of the Olympia anymore, um, that they had moved on from it. And I took that really personally. So I spent months traveling all over the place, um, repairing relationships, making sure people who mattered, people like you, Jay, were brought back into the Olympia family. Not that you ever left it, but were brought back in a, in a meaningful way because my feeling was if guys like you aren't traveling the world speaking reverently and glowingly about the Olympia, then we got a problem. And um, I never took that lightly. And, uh, and I know we sat down and um, we chatted and then shortly thereafter we uh, named you the honorary mm. ambassador of the Olympics. was the first, right? The first one. Yeah. And, uh, and you were amazing. You did everything that we could have asked from that role. People were excited. Plus, this is Vegas. This is your town anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was just a great thing. But uh, yeah, um, to answer your question, it's, it's something I take a lot of pride in. And, um, and it's been really exciting to see. I mean, this past year, we sold out the event. We had more sponsors at the Olympia than we've ever had in the 57-year history of the event. We gave away more prize money than we've ever given away in the history of bodybuilding competition. Um, We were able to do things um, that have never been done before. And not to mention the stage production was the most extreme. It was uh, almost over the top. It was crazy. It was sensory (laughs) overload. And it's funny because you know how, Jay, you and I have talked about this a lot. I want to, hold on. I just think, hold that thought. So Matt got down there and he's like, dude, you got to see this stage. And he's like, you can't. He sent me a video, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on blast right now. He sent me a video. He's like, "Don't show anyone," and he's like, "You got to see this." And I said, "Well, last year it was crazy, right?" Yeah. 
He said, wait till you see it this year. And he sent me the video. I was like, damn, like, <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't think it could basically be bigger than yeah. the year prior. Well, I, I have to give my team, you know, Tamer Algindi and yeah. Martine and Caden and, of course, Jake leading the way and Angelica and Sophia and Heather and um, the rest of the crew and Tim and everybody. Um, but so really a lot of work went into that stage. But I will tell you this. Think of all the years, guys, that we used to say things like bodybuilding shows are boring. Right, because fundamentally, right, you're watching guys walk across stage, guys and girls. It's not the most exciting thing to watch, no. right? And we've talked about that a lot. Bodybuilding shows are boring, and we used to talk about how you sit there at an event, and halfway through, you'd want to get up and go do something else. Or do you remember there was a time when people used to judge the success of a show by how quickly the show got over? They would almost compliment an MC. Lonnie Teeper and I used to talk about this. It was almost considered a great show of, mm -hmm. hey, I got everybody at, I got everybody out of there in under two hours. Like that was like a badge of honor. <laughs> Just think about the absurdity of that. Yeah. We would sit there and we would celebrate how quickly we got a show over yeah. of, uh, an event that we actually sold tickets to, and we're sitting there patting ourselves in the back because the show was good because it got over quickly. Yeah. Think about the insanity of that way of thinking. So this year at the Olympia, I will tell you this: you might not have liked every outcome. You might not have liked where certain guys placed. There might have been even some aspects of the lighting or the sound that may have been too much for you. But nobody left that building and said, this show was boring. The music was a little loud. I was like, damn. Like, sometimes right. I was like, that shit was going was through, loud. you know? On Friday night, we were walking in. Yeah, and I missed Friday. As we get closer and closer, yeah. it's just you feel like you're going to the nightclub. Yeah. You can feel it. My, I'm like, fuck, this reminds me of when I was in a, my Three fifteen and subs in my truck when I was yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. sixteen. Well, that's <laughs> like that's, you can feel it in your heart. No, well, that's the downside of us putting you in the front row. You had to yeah, feel yeah, all that power. Yeah. But um, no, it's um, you're right. And it was there was times where I even had to tell him dial it down. But I think maybe it's just because we're getting old. Yeah, maybe, might be. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Because I was in the second row, by the way. Were you in the second row? I this was year? in the second row, man. He kicked me out. You know what it is? You no. only won four. Yeah, it's because you only won four. If you had won five or more, we would have put you, you in the first row. If you can accomplish something, we'll put you in the front row. <laughs> there you yeah. go. But um, no, it was a. Um, it was really important to us to leave to have people exit that building feeling like you know they they saw something theatrical and over the top. You know, we had the LEDs that were. You know, I, I walked out beneath an LED that rose up. And, you know, if I can only tell you how much that cost, but um, we were able to do some really exciting things. And I'm just so grateful to get to work with, with the team. That Did I it cost a with. lot? Cost a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. It cost a lot of money. But you know what, though? There's a lot of things about this event that cost. When AMI purchased the Olympia in 04, there what was, was that number. Well, there was 94 IFBB pro athletes in the Olympia that year. Okay, because there was less divisions and all mm -hmm. that. Now, keep in mind, every time an athlete qualifies for the Olympia, we have to fly them in, we have to put them up in hotels, and we give them per diem expenses. So each athlete, regardless, even if they don't place, each athlete. I used to love those cash envelopes. Sure, by the way. and you still do love those yeah. cash envelopes. Let's not pretend something's changed. Yeah, they're a little bit thicker yes. now, though. Yes, exactly. Jay's cash wait, envelopes. Wait, wait. You like those ones with the, you know, X amount per day? You like the? No, nah, no, they gave they get good per diem. Isn't it funny, no matter how much money you have, an envelope with cash in it is always... Uh, <laughs> it's a principle. Right, exactly. Um, but... Um, I was going to say, so you mentioned, you know, Jim Mannion being a partner, and I see you got the NPC shirt on. Yeah. And I just saw you post on social media recently that you went up to Pittsburgh. So tell us how... how oh, man. What a great visit that was. Um, so... For those of you guys, I know you've been there many times, obviously, but for yeah, those I train of you, at the gym. And sure. There, yeah. For those of you guys who haven't been um, to NPC World Headquarters, which also is the headquarters for the IFBB Professional League, um, 
it's a really neat experience because you realize just the history and even the family element of what the organizations represent. Um, I got there and um, my Uber driver, as I like to joke, was a guy named Jim Mannion. And he picked me up and um, he drove me uh, to lunch and then we went over to the offices. And um, first of all, you, you, you want to talk about a guy who's plugged into his city. Um, it's pretty connected. Jim is, yeah, Jim is really, we always hear the word the mayor. I mean, Jim is the mayor of, of Pittsburgh. <laughs> and um, we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, just how far things have come. And um, he never stops pushing to want to do things better. He's very focused on the athletes, very focused on prize money, very focused on making sure everybody gets the opportunities that they deserve. A lot of folks don't really have a good read on Jim in terms of how much he cares about all this stuff, about how much he cares about his promoters, about how much he cares about the NPC as a brand um, globally and how focused he is. A lot of people think he's trying to take over the world, um, which for the most part he's doing, right? I mean, he's been very He's been doing it for a long time. He's been doing it for a while. For a long time. But it's not for the reasons that everybody thinks. A lot of people think it's, you know, for reasons that, you know, are about business. Jim, when he sees injustices, when he sees things that are going on in, in the bodybuilding culture around the world, um, he's affected by it. And he wants to make sure that the athletes are getting the right opportunity, that the events are being judged the right way, that, um, you know, this year, just to give you an idea, this year in the IFBB Pro League, um, there was a total of about $3.7 million dollars that were paid out across all the events and prize money. And that's, that's significant. There's a lot of people out there that will be critical and talk about prize money, um, but 3.7 million. And the next best is not even close. Um, we're talking the next best, and I won't even get into all that stuff. You're not stuff. mentioning those? No, but, yeah. I will, but I will tell you that it's not even close. Mm-hmm. The IFBB Pro League, if you are a professional athlete in the world of bodybuilding or physique competition, the IFBB Pro League is where the opportunities, the visibility, and quite frankly, the money is. Because $3.7 million was paid out here in 2021, and the next best is probably less than 10% of that in you know other rival... Pro leagues like the NBA of basketball. Correct, exactly. So it's something that um, I know Jim is, is proud of, but also wants to see continue to grow. I know Jake, um, Jake Wood, our owner, I can tell you that when he looks at the prize money every year, he's constantly trying to figure out ways... To, to, to award um, more. Is it pr- going to go up, more Dan, or? Yeah, it's going to keep going up. And it has gone up every single year. This year at the Olympia, we gave away $1.6 million. That's more money that's ever been given away. What was away. it the year prior? Do you know? It was probably about 100000 less. Okay. Um, but keep in Still mind, progress. keep in mind, we're, we're raising prize money in years where economies are shrinking. In years where people aren't sponsoring, and of course we- We're still in a pandemic. Right. Still. And, and we were able to sell a lot of sponsorships this year, so we were fortunate to be able to do that. But there's, it's just a different- you know, even at the Olympias prior, the crowds that we were able to pull from our Vegas crowd in the pre-pandemic environment were, were larger, right? So um, I, I always said 2020, I think, is an amazing year. Not this one that we're in the prior year. That was the year that we were in the throes of a full-blown shutdown. And it would have been, and, and Jake had just acquired the event a few months earlier. Nobody would have judged Jake for giving away half the prize money. They would have just said, thank you for doing this. Thank you for making it work. But Jake said from day one, you're not cutting the, we're not cutting the prize money. And that's to me, if there was ever a way to set a tone for how much he cares, because he always talks about how much he cares about the athletes, how much he wanted to give the event back to the athletes and the fans. There was no greater proof of that than in 2020, when 
no events were being held. Arenas, stadiums, um, auditoriums, theaters were pretty much shut down. And here comes Jake, puts on the Olympia, and didn't cut the prize money. And I will never forget that. I've always said that I could be a part of 30 more Olympias. Um, there is something about 2020, the year that the world told us to not do anything. And Jake basically said, fuck that. We're doing this and we're going to do it big. And he put on a big stage production. He made an investment in the show. It was important to him to carry forward that tradition. And he gave away more prize money than had ever been given away before that time. And he was under no obligation to do that. And he still did it. That's crazy, man. Well, I had my, my nightclub tables booked at the Olympia like three weeks out. And then you decide to pull the plug and move the whole thing. You had plane tickets booked for all these athletes, no? It was crazy. We, you, know, you know what? Why don't we go back to like 2019 when you got hired before we get to 2020. Talk a, a little bit about that process with, with Pecker and how that happened before Jake brought on. Yeah, so at that time, um, I was uh, doing all sorts of different things. I had developed a media property at that time called uh, Digital Muscle, and then I had, we had just wrapped up filming a movie called Bigger. Um, which is now on HBO, and um, I um, I got a phone call. I know, but where were you sitting when you got this phone call? Okay. I like to get a little detail because okay. people love this stuff. Yeah, so I because you remember, I know, I know where you were. You remember this? Yeah. So, well, here's what happened. I was home, and I got a call from a guy named Chris Scardino. Yeah, I know Chris. Yeah, yeah, he's a you know a, a great guy, and um. He's been around for a long time. He work. He's one of uh, used to sell advertisement correct. for the contest. Yeah. And, and Chris, for those who don't know, is or was for a long time one of David Pecker's uh, really right hand guys mm -hmm. at AMI. Great guy, yeah, yeah, very smart. And he, the 2018 Olympia had just wrapped up, and um, there were certain elements of the trends of the show. And I want to be very clear about one thing. At that time, the producer of the show was Robin Chang, mm -hmm. and Robin Chang worked real hard for a long time to do some great things with the Olympia, especially from a production standpoint and an organizational standpoint. Um, the show was uh, a lot of fun to go to. And um, um, so I want to be very clear about that. Uh, but there were certain elements of the, the 365 day component of the event, the year round elements of the brand and um, the evolution of, of just certain um, revenue opportunities, certain opportunities to achieve what we call non-endemic growth. And for those people that don't know what that means, non-endemic growth in a conversation like this is the industry, the Olympia has been fueled by three primary categories. We call them our endemic brands, sports equipment, sports supplementation, and sports apparel. Those are the three categories that drive the model. And if you go to an expo, those are the three categories that I represented. And it became very evident that non-endemic brands outside of those categories, we're not supporting the Olympia. Didn't touch it, yeah. And that was the, that's the pathway to growth, right? That's the only way you're going to get there. So um, it was very important to AMI to start getting to that place. And um, we, um, and I got a call from Chris and I spent a couple hours with him on the phone, just giving him some ideas, some thoughts that I had about licensing and branding and marketing and just overall ways to develop the Olympia, you know, right down to apparel and all this sort of thing, which there was no Olympia apparel line at that time. And um, there was just a lot of things that I thought were untapped opportunities. So the conversation, I guess, went pretty well. And then about a week later, um, he calls me back and he says, David wants to know if you could come to New York and have lunch with him um, to talk about the Olympia. 
And now keep in mind, at that time, there was no buzz or even thought that this was a job scenario. There was no thought that this job was even up for grabs. There was mm -hmm. no conversation about it. And I'll take it one step further. This really wasn't even my career trajectory, right? This wasn't even something that I was thinking about doing. I was happy doing the things that I was doing, very entrepreneurial in nature. Um, you worked for yourself primarily. Yep, that's right. And um, so I, I went to New York and I sat with David at a lunch for a couple hours and we covered all the bases. He wanted to know everything about my relationships and everything about um, my professional relationships and everything about all the aspects of what I've been doing. And we get to the end of the lunch and he looked at me and I still didn't really see this coming. Mm -hmm. he looks at me and he goes, I want you to run the Olympia for me. And I looked at him and I said, David, I appreciate that, but that's not really what I do. I almost try to talk him out of offering me this job. And the reason why <laughs> is because I knew what a big job it is. I knew what a significant responsibility it is. But I also knew that if he offered me that job, I would have to accept it. Because anytime you're in the world and you spend your life giving opinions on ways that things can be done better. Well, when you are finally put in a position where you can actually make them happen, make those things happen, yeah. you have to accept that or you're just a hypocrite, right? Yeah. It's like the whole, you're either in the arena or you're not in the arena yeah. conversation. And um, it's one of those things where I just, um, I told him I wanted to go home and think about it and talk to the family and all that. Um, but um, in the end, um, I accepted the job. And uh, I accepted it. It was very important to me that I did so with the full support of, of Jim Mannion. Um, and, um, and, and, I, and I had that. And uh, so I took the job. And, um, and when I asked David, I said, David, why do you think that I should do this for you? And he said to me, there's plenty of people out there that, I can, that, that have spent time you know, with the headsets on, as we always say, that yeah. can you know, organize and direct and all that, which is something that I you know, I could do as well. But he said he really, it was really important to him to start tapping in to all the other aspects of business and media and branding and marketing and production and all the things that I've spent a long time doing. Um, and he said that was critical for the growth of the event. And to this day, I know David has a lot of detractors. Like David's, his story is, is um, well documented by now. But um, I'll always be grateful to David for seeing that in me because I don't even know if at that time I saw it in myself. And, um, Were you scared? I was. Or uncertain? Yeah, I was a little bit uncertain. I don't know that I, I, I'd be scared to do it. Yeah. I don't know that I was scared, but I was definitely uncertain at first because I was thrusted into a role that I, in my mind it wasn't even something I was – considering or it's what, not the lane that you were in. No, it's like, if you run for president, you spent years preparing to do that. You go through a yeah, campaign yeah. and you, if this happens, then I'm you, in this particular case, there was no thought in my mind that this was even going to be real. But I will tell you, um, I think in life, that's just kind of how it is. I mean, even for you, you know, you had your journey and then in 06, you won, you woke up the next day and you were the number one bodybuilder in the world and you just took it and you owned it. Yeah, and I couldn't call Ronnie Coleman and say, hey, how do I be Mr. Olympia? Because right. obviously he was upset about it. Right. So do you call someone like Robin Chang and be like, how do I run this thing? Or never had that conversation? I, I will say that um, those conversations didn't really happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Robin, I'll, I'll tell you, Robin is a very, um, he's very good at what he does from the standpoint of, um, of, of, of the global development that he's doing for right now for, um, for Jim yeah, for NPC and, and the NPC. And, yeah. and um, 
He is um, very tied internationally with a lot of uh, promoters that we work with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he also spent a lot of years really doing great work for the Olympia. Um, but when I took this job, um, it sort of, um, it was a fresh slate. I went out and I brought in um, a new team for the most part. There was a few carryovers that we, we kept. Um, you secured the biggest sponsor. We did. And it's funny you would mention that because you talk about the, remember I was just talking about the non-endemic brands. Well, Meal delivery, right? Meal delivery is a non-endemic category, right? It's not a supplement company. You know, it's not a, um, a sports uh, equipment company or an apparel company. It is a non-endemic brand. And I have to give a lot of credit also to you, Matt, because I know you've worked um, with the Trifecta a long time. You and I sat down and, and talked about um, the relationship between what Trifecta does in the Olympia, and we were able to work together to get that done. Um, and I think it's been a really good relationship for all of us because I know that Trifecta has become the preeminent meal delivery service in the fitness industry. We have meal delivery in ser- America, period. Right for organic, all organic. That's yeah. right. And meal delivery services contact all that they contact us all the time. They want to be a part of the Olympia. Of They're very envious of Trifecta's <laughs> moniker atop <laughs> the Olympia. Trifecta presents Joe Weider's Olympia Fitness and Performance Weekend, and um, but Greg Connolly and his team have really um, become a part of our family, and um, they've done great work, sort of providing value to our athletes. And, uh, and I know you're a big part of Trifecta, and um, Trifecta has really been a great partner, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing it for a long time. There's, all, there's, always, there's always stuff we can make. We're always going to work on more stuff to bring it up and make it better. For sure. So going into 2019, talk about your first year being in charge of the Olympia. So in 2018, you got hired after it. So what did you, like, tell me about 2019, the things you had to deal with. and Oh, man, there was a lot. So in 2019... Um, we're just, uh, coming off of the 2018 Olympia and, um, we are putting our, our plans together for 2019. And then we had some key members of our staff, um, that those relationships ended. And, um, so I had to restaff in many key areas, which was, um, challenging um, and Especially we, when people have been there for a decade plus. Right. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, we got word that our reigning champion um, got into a, a pretty significant issue. And, um, and then, of course, it's no secret at that time that um, the CEO of, of AMI came out and very publicly and um, aggressively acted on that situation um, involving Sean. And... Um, and that created a series of events that were incredibly challenging. Yeah. As you can imagine, and this is the part that I don't think people fully understand, um, a lot of folks have assumed that we didn't want Sean Roden in the Olympia, which is crazy. Keep in mind, I am, um, my job is to put as many bodies in the seat as possible. My job is to make sure the event is as good an event as possible. If I could get you, Jay, to compete this year, I'd figure out a way to do it if it was possible. But now you're wearing size. If it wasn't 48, yeah, if you brought right. an XL. And, and I did bring Jay a, a jacket today, and it was an XL. And that, the last, Amazing, time, I, last right? time I brought you a jacket, I think Come it was on, a 4X. You don't, think, you don't right. think Jay could cut you a check to get you back on stage? Nah, man. If I was 42, <laughs> hell yeah. Hey, everybody's got a uh, Everyone's got a price. Got a price, right? There's always an envelope. But, and then uh, Jake bought the Olympian. 2019, right. 2019 as well. That's right. So, but what people don't understand is there's nobody who would have wanted the reigning champ to be on our stage more than a guy who does what I do. Yeah, yeah. And to think when I would hear people call me out for 
the notion that I didn't somehow want him, want Sean on our stage was, was crazy to me because Sean Roden competing at the Olympia is a better contest. Having our reigning champion on that stage is what the fans want to see. And it was critically important for me, especially in 2019. Remember, 2019, a lot of guys didn't compete that year. That was the year that, if you look back at the landscape of that lineup, um, the Phil year didn't. Rami didn't. Right. Why? That, Why didn't they compete? Phil lost the year before, and I just think he. Phil decided to step away. He didn't call him to try to get him in. Of course, we had many conversations in which I was and trying. He didn't. He just said he just, flat out he didn't he want to. He just chose it. not to compete that okay. year, which was fine. And then, of course, Rami, Rami was compete. dealing with some injuries that year, and he didn't get there. And um, um, of course, uh, I think. Sean couldn't compete. Flex Lewis also was uh, going to try to get he there. He was going to try. And he didn't. I can't the, even the remember. The last two standing was William and uh, Brandon. Right. Exactly. That was the year Brandon came in and, and seized the opportunity, yep. right, and took the title. Um, but that was the year where I, I was really working to get some star power on that stage. And uh, But I will say one of my proudest aspects of being, you know, in this role at the Olympia is that year reminded me that the event is bigger than any individual competitor. And I realized that that year because – all those guys were sitting in the audience, including Kai Green and all these big name athletes. They were all, they all for, for different reasons, opted not to compete. And we still sold out the building on Saturday night, which I thought said a lot for how far the sport has come and how far the Olympia has come. Um, but it was a big blow to me to not have Sean on that stage. Yeah, we sat next to each other in the front row, you and I. That's right. And, uh, and your son. And I remember looking back and saying to you, dude, you did it, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of like a heartfelt moment, you know, because it was a little uncertain, right? Because there were so many guys pulling the plug and we never really had that before at the Olympia where so many top guns weren't showing up, right? And we looked around at the place on Saturday night and it was like, wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It was it was emotional because we knew what we had gone through to get to that place and um it was a year unlike any other. And then, of course, the year after became another year unlike any other. Um, but it, you know, I think people also don't understand the relationship that I had with Sean. Even at this past Olympia, um, you know, I, I spent some time talking to Sean and gave him, you know, a really, you know, a big hug. And we talked a lot about things. And Sean knew exactly where I stood in terms of my desire to want him on that stage. You know, I've never felt compelled to come out and talk about that. But he knows exactly how I felt about him competing in the show. People who are close to him know exactly how much it meant to me or it would have meant for me. You know what happens, though, unfortunately, with these things? Um, these things tend to, you know, charges get filed. A lot of people have said, um, well, you know, this was an accusation. And unfortunately, at least according to the folks that, um, you know, we had to consult with on this matter. This wasn't just an accusation. This was a charge. These were charges that were filed after an investigation, right? So what happens in that case is now all of a sudden lawyers get involved and lawyers start telling all of us what to do, what we can and what we can't do and where the exposures are and where the liabilities are and all that sort of thing. And that's what happens. For me, that was a, a really frustrating time, but make no mistake about it. Um, a guy like me who is evaluated based on the success of an Olympia would love nothing more than to have one of the best bodybuilders, a former Olympia champion on the stage. He was the reigning champion. He was the reigning champion. Yeah. That's right.
and, and people want to see the champion either win or lose. So right. it's all part of the storyline, yeah. having the champion there. Yeah. In 2019, for me, it was a it was a year that you and I had a lot of conversations about certain athletes that kind of sure. like Jay were not welcomed as much in the years past. And that was the first year you and I spoke and you said, hey, we'll make sure these people are always taken care of and seeing different people that, I don't want to say their names, but different people that were around that were recognized in, in the messages they sent me afterwards. It meant a lot. And, you know, when we were, you're joking about the front row, I gave my, my tickets to Brian Shaw so he could sit in the front row because that was your year Shaq was right. there. But it was good just to see there was a lot of star power in the crowd that weren't competing that might not have been there in the Yeah, that past. was my complaint, you know, because we didn't really touch on that. And I felt like as a former champion, like you should, you know, have an invitation, meaning like, you know, if, if you are – coming to the event you know you should be inclusive to have a seat or whatever else it shouldn't be up to you know i mean especially the former champions right i mean there's only been at that point when you took over there was like 14 or 15 right he was 14 he was 14 or was he 15 whatever it is it's not like it's 50 guys right um i just didn't feel like it was as welcoming to your formers you know um and i like that you know, when I went to the Olympia even this past year, 2021, in um, Orlando, I got to see a lot of, you know, champions in the house and attending the shows because, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, these, these athletes wouldn't even have the invitation. Yeah, I, I can tell you that one of the nice things about with, with me being there, because I have relationships with those champions, male and female, but also Angelica Nebia, who oversees a lot of aspects of our ticketing, um, who's um, having a birthday. So happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, happy Angelica. Birthday. Um, it means a lot to her as well mm-hmm. and to Jake to make sure that the past champions are treated as such. So you're right. That is a major culture shift that we've had um, at the Olympia in terms of making sure everybody... There was that, that one year in, in 2019, you'll saw the front row, and it was, you know, Flex and Cormier and, yeah. you know, all, all, right on down the line, they were all... All the Olympia legends yeah. were, were there, even the ones who didn't win the Olympia. Um, so we work really hard to kind of create that inclusive, um, culture now, but you're right. For some reason, the wheels came off a little bit for a few years and that wasn't happening. Um, you know, I also enjoy the benefit as well of, you know, of course you're about to get into the progression of since I took over, but in February of 2020, the Olympia was sold. Um, and that was another significant thing because, you know, Everything that the Olympia knew in terms of the, the corporate structure and how we were run was yanked from that environment and put in the hands of, of Jake Wood and, and his team. And um, fortunately, it was a, it's been a great home for the event because Jake loves the sport as much or more than anybody. And um, it's been a really welcomed um, shift. But um, yeah, I can tell you right now, the event is in the hands of people, myself, Tamer, Angelica, Jake, um, who just love, love everything about the history of the sport and make sure that people are taken care of. You even saw the way we even opened the event this year. We opened yeah. the event this year. Uh, that was supposed to be you in that opening, by the way, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's not, remember when I was messaging you? Yeah, no one told me. Yeah, <laughs> no one told was, anyone. Uh, yeah, so, but we had Lee Haney up there. Yeah, and, I wouldn't uh, want to have to take my shirt off and make those guys <laughs> look too bad, you know? But who was it? It was Darren was up there. and uh, Victor Martinez Vic, was there. Victor, yeah. Victor and uh, Lee Haney. Lee Haney, and uh, there was somebody else up there with me. Who was it? 
Um, but anyways, we walked out and they were all up there and, uh, Oh, Juan Morrell. Juan Morrell. Yeah. yeah. Was and, um, Immersive. yeah. And, um, that was, uh, just so another, let's, let's go to, so 2020, the Olympias uh, has a new owner. Yep. And I know, but hold on a second. Hold sure. on, hold on. So Jake would just calls up and says, Hey, I want to purchase the Olympia. Is that what happens? Not really. Good question, though. <laughs> I know, but like, listen, this. Hold on. We, we're talking about Jake Wood, and people watching this or or he listening to it. Like, who's Jake Wood? Like, okay. why is Jake Wood a guy that just all of a sudden buys the Olympia? He's a fan. So I'm going to give you guys some stuff that I've never talked about before. Um. So who is Jake? Jake is a guy, as you know, right? He was has long been a big advocate for the women's side of bodybuilding and fitness, and um, he's put his money where his mouth is in terms of. Um, producing events, sponsoring events, sponsoring athletes, mm. doing a lot of things that have given um, a, a lifeline to a part of the industry that was very much on life support. So Jake deserves a lot of credit for that. And then shortly thereafter, he started to support, you know, sponsor sports. Yeah. And, and started support supporting things that benefited men and women. It wasn't yeah. just the women. And um, to this day, there are, af- there are events that are going on. There's prize money being handed out that wouldn't be to men and women um, if it wasn't for the work of Jake. And so I, I've i known Jake for a long time. Jake has always been a big supporter of the projects that I've been involved with. He was at our premiere for Bigger. He was a sponsor at Pro Bodybuilding Weekly. He was a, a supporter of Digital Muscle. Jake's been a tremendous friend. And um, so I get this job running the Olympia, and he, we, we were on the phone, and... Um, in that phone call, he had said something along the lines of, uh, man, I've always wanted to own the Olympia. And a lot of people say that, right? The industry is filled with people who love to talk about how much they want to own the Olympia. I know, Olympia. but Dan, let's be real. Wasn't he a million-dollar sponsor for the Mr. Olympia? Well, so here's the thing. I would never reveal somebody's financial commitment to the event. I don't think it would be appropriate for me to do that, but he was a significant sponsor okay. of the event. And um, Wings of Strength came aboard and um, became a presenting sponsor of the event. And um, That was in 2019. Right? That was in 2019. 2019 yeah. and, um, and in that call, when I told him that I got this job, you know, because his um, friendship was important enough to me, and mm-hmm. still is, for me to pick up the phone and call Jake and talk to him about it. And, and he said, man, I've always wanted to own that. And I said, yeah, I mean, that, that's what people like to say, stuff like that, right? We love people who like to do blogs about the fact that they want to, but push comes to shove, there's very few who actually yeah, the uh, ability to have the ability to do it and are really willing to go that extra mile and to complete Yeah, because I'd like to own the Olympia too. Sure, yeah. right? <laughs> You're too cheap. Uh, <laughs> but um, so he made a comment to me. He said, if, if there's ever a window of opportunity for that to happen, um, I would love to be at the table. So... I start the job, start doing what I'm doing. You know, about a year or so later, we're sitting down. um, Me and David were having a conversation about things. And um, he made a comment to me that made it appear that that might be a possibility. And so I raised the subject. I called Jake. I talked to him. I said, hey, Jake, were you serious about wanting to do this? And um, he said, 100% serious. And um, I ended up, uh, we ended up coordinating a lunch in New York that brought Jake and David and myself to the table. And that conversation begun. And I'll give David credit because David um, 
in David's world of private equity and venture capital and all that, David could get anything sold, right? It wouldn't be hard for him to go find a buyer. Mm -hmm. When you're in that part of commerce and in that part of the investment banking world and you have an asset that has a value, you can get it sold. It was very important to David to find the right owner. And it was very important um, to Jake to have a deal structure that would enable the event to continue to be successful. And um, they started talking and they really kind of hit it off. And, um, and then they spent uh, the next five or six months working through the particulars of the deal. And um, it was a crazy time because I remember walking around with all this information and I knew what was going on. And of couldn't course, say anything. couldn't say anything. Um, but I knew that this was a good win for the sport. I knew it was because I knew yeah. what Jake is all about. And I knew what, um, what had been missing. Um, and, and I remember I said to him the first time when it became obvious that this was about to happen, I go, Jake, you're about to own the Olympia. I said, that's wild. How does that make you feel? And he said, I don't even think about it that way. He goes, I just want to give the event back to the fans and back to the athletes. And that's not just, that's not just me saying that, right? Those were Jake's words. Jake genuinely felt that the event had been pulled into a corporate structure that had brought it further from the fans and further from the athletes. And it was a priority to him and to me, but to Jake in a big way to bring the event back to the fans. And all of a sudden now the event would be owned in an environment where that was owned and operated by people who trained and lived the lifestyle and new business and all that sort of thing. And uh, so it was, it was a wild time. And it was, I think it was February 14th, 2020. I want to say, I think it was Valentine's day. And um, yeah, it was, it was Valentine's day of, of 2020. So it's been almost two years now um, when we made the announcement and um, it was a, it was a, it was an epic day for the sport. And um, a guy who deserves a lot of credit for this is Jim Mannion because Jim Mannion, um, look, he has a rooting interest, a major interest in the Olympia in terms of making sure that the Olympia is in the right hands. And, um, Jim was very supportive of Jake because Jim saw it as well, that Jake's um, capacity and aptitude and passions all were in the right space to continue a really good partnership and to grow the sport. You know, a question I always had, and, and just because you're on this topic, does the pro league have to approve of an owner? Kind of like if the NBA, if, if an owner wants to buy the team, they have to get approval. Does the pro league have to approve? I think it's fair to say that anything that happens around the Olympia, um, the Olympia is sanctioned by the IFBB yeah. professional. What's well, a feeder for, I mean, obviously, yeah. right? Right. I mean, you can't compete in the Olympia unless you come through the ranks, whether it's international That's or right. domestic. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And I just didn't know if it was like, hey, like, like hypothetically, if Jim didn't want somebody to own it, would he have to sign off on it? Because his league is atta attached to that. Well, I think the simple way to put it is I think anybody would be foolish. Of course, yeah. To, yeah. to take on anything that Jim wasn't supportive of, right? Of because Jim yeah. is so central to what we do. Yeah. You know, Jim has created an entire economy for, for yeah. all of us, right? Yeah. And um, I, I think, I don't know what the documents say with regards to that. Yeah, no, approval, I was just, but just off the top of my head because I know yeah. you were in the middle of that. Yeah, you can, be, you can be sure that it would not be good business. Oh, no, no, of course not. Of course <laughs> right? not. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2020, we have a new owner. But you had already decided that the Olympia was leaving from the Orleans to Planet, Planet Hollywood. No. 
We had not decided. Oh, you haven't yet. decided. Okay. When we so. acquired the Olympia, we were gearing towards doing the 2020 Olympia at the Orleans. Orleans. Okay. Everything was going to continue as it was. We were not going to take on the okay. task of moving the event. Remember, there's a reason why the Olympia had been at the Orleans for 15 straight well, years. Well, why? What, what was the contract? I mean, was there a contract? At the Orleans? Like, yeah, you locked in for X I'm going to tell or? you why. I'm going to tell you why bluntly as, as I can. Because I compete at Mandalay Bay. Right. 99, 2000, 2001. Then I think 2003 it moved. Right. There... The easiest thing that a promoter or a producer at an event can do is to not move an event because you kind of get it. It's an autopilot thing, yeah, right? Yeah. It's turnkey. They know where it's at. All yeah. the facilities, the security, line management, AV, lighting, sound, all the things that go into the production uh-huh. of an event, whether it's the, the, the logistics and the hotels and the venues and the arena and seating and Ticketmaster and all that stuff. If you do it at the same place every year, it's a whole lot easier. And... Also, in fairness, um, financially, the deal with the Orleans was very favorable for us. Um, so it made it harder to justify. And, and I want to be really um, clear about one thing. This is not uh, in any way a shot at Robin. You know, Robin was working in a different culture than I was working in. Um, but, you know, AMI had certain you know, revenue objectives, yes. just like any business would. You want to make sure things stay profitable. And the Orleans presented the best pathway for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is Jake buys the event. We're planning to put the on, we're planning to put the Olympia on at the Orleans for at least another year. And all of a sudden, it became an opportunity to kind of turn lemons into lemonade. Because we get wind of the pandemic. And the Olympia that year was set for September. Mm-hmm. September is kind of early on the calendar, especially when there's a, 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 a pandemic situation. And the plan was I wanted to move the event, and, and so did Jake. We wanted to move the event later in the year to try to buy more time for the pandemic to cycle through. We thought maybe a, a few extra months would be a, a difference maker. So then we try to look at ways to move, and the Orleans could not commit to anything later in the year. So then I call up Jake, and I said, Jake, I got to be honest with you. I just found us an out on the Orleans deal because now that the Orleans can't accommodate us, we are free to do whatever we want. So then I proceeded to spend a lot of time with our team uh, looking at different Vegas properties. And then we found Planet Hollywood, which is home to the Zappos Theater, which by the way, the Zappos Theater is an insane, beautiful entertainment venue. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it was the arrival of the pandemic that opened the door for us to be free from the Orleans obligation, which allowed me to go ahead and shop for a different venue. We wanted to move the, we wanted to keep the event in Vegas, but we wanted to move it onto the strip. That was really important for us. And um, it's only because of the pandemic that we were able to do that. Um, so, so the that, pandemic did something good. The, yeah. The, so, right. So somewhere within this chaos of sadness and frustration and people losing jobs and, people losing a lot more than that, um, we were able to change um, the location of the event. So then we went from preparing to have an event at the Orleans to now we're preparing to have an event at Planet Hollywood. Really excited about it. And, um, and then about four weeks before, four or five weeks before the event that was to be held at Planet Hollywood, the governor of Nevada made it very clear that crowds were not going to be allowed to attend events here in the city. So then we had to figure out a way to move it again. So in one event cycle, 
we had our minds that we were putting the event on in three different places in one event cycle. So that's why I say there will never be anything like the 2020 you're, you're, Olympia. You know, for the average person that doesn't understand this, that means your team right. prepared for one, that's right. prepared to move it, yes. which is like two things in one, and then prepared to move it and had to move it again. That's right. So all the work they did for the, or, for the Planet Hollywood kind of was, went to shit. That's right. So they did all that. But wow. the good news is um, it didn't all go to shit yeah. because we spent all that time planning to have the event at Planet Hollywood, yeah. strategizing, coordinating, doing all the things that we would do. And once we realized we couldn't have it, we put all that stuff in a box, basically. Okay. And we said, save this for later. And the good news is that later is here because the 2022 Olympia, next year's Olympia, will be back at Planet Hollywood. So the very event that we had worked so hard, that we were so excited to show the fans, that we were so excited to show the athletes and the sponsors, that very event that we spent about five or six months preparing for that we were not able to put on, um, we're going to be able to put it on next year. Is this the first time this has like been talked about like from you? It's probably the first time we've talked about it like this. I do know that it's no secret that we're going back to Vegas. Yeah. That is known. Um, we're going to be doing a formal announcement. That's why I'm here in Vegas. So is this like breaking news out of the color cast? I think so. I think it's been like we said in the in the scuttlebutt circles, but this is live on air, so it's you know it is confirmed. Do we have a date? Yeah, it's the weekend of December fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. Okay, and awesome, um, yeah, well, well, congratulations. Thank you. And it, hey, it's here. We don't have to fly to Florida. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny because um, it's it's two different kinds of events. First of all, in Las Vegas. Orlando and Las Vegas are such different. Like I always say Orlando is like NASCAR country, right? And, and I love Orlando because I'm a Florida guy, right? So yeah. it was a nice home field advantage for me, just like it's a home field advantage for you guys. Yeah. You could drive there, right? To have it here. It was a three-hour drive for yeah. me, and, um, and I really appreciated that. But Las Vegas does bring a different flavor to the event. People dress differently. In Vegas, people dress <laughs> like you look at, you know, folks will show up to the Olympia finals in Orlando with um, flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts on, right? <laughs> Whereas in, um, in Vegas, it's a much different experience, right? Yeah. But um, more than that, our ability to do things, you, you thought what we did production-wise in Orlando was something to talk about, and it was, and we're proud of it. The things that we're going to do at the Zappos Theater, the things that myself and Tamer and Angelica and, and of course, Jake um, um, have... Um, sort of signed off on and have started to collaborate on, it's, it's going to be a whole nother world that people are going to walk into in Vegas in December, and uh, they're going to be blown away by it. Maybe they can get you back on stage. No, nah, man, it's, you know, I know years ago, you know, I know Robert Earl that used to own Planet Hollywood, and he always was a fan to try to bring the Olympia there, and, you know, it left Mandalay Bay, went to the Orleans, and then obviously now, you know, circling back to Planet Hollywood, which I had a lot of after parties at, by the way. You may have come to a couple. But, sure. Um, you know, what I love about, you know, the Olympia list, and I have a lot of history, and I know Jim Mannion goes way back with Joe Weider. Like, Joe Weider, it's it's kind of forgotten that it's Joe Weider's Mr. Olympia, right? Um, and he had such a passion. And it's great to have someone now back in position that has – a passion towards the athletes, right? I mean, doesn't matter what level it's at, it's at now, but back when I was doing the Olympia early on, like 99 was my first, there was barely an expo, okay? We had men's and women's bodybuilding, that was it. So our panel, like in the press conference, was very limited, right? I mean, everyone was there because there was only 30 people maybe in the contest at the time. But now with controlling so many divisions, I mean, 
what do you think is the most popular division at this point? I know I know what I think is the okay. most popular, but like you're watching this thing expand. So let's start. The, the best way to establish the most popular division might be to identify who the most popular athlete is, right? And um, and it's interesting because there's no question that people care more about the outcome of the Mr. Olympia division yeah. than any other division. That's the so, open bodybuilding. Yeah, that's the division that you won and guys named Franco and Arnold and Ronnie and Dorian and, you know, that is the division that people want to know the outcome of. That's the division that when there's a mention on a mainstream sports site, they will mention the fact that Mom Duals by a big Rami won the Mr. Olympia. Now, with that said, I don't know that there's an athlete in the planet right now more popular than Chris Bumstead. Chris Bumstead is a big, big star. When Chris Bumstead shows up to meet fans or sign autographs, they line up around the building. And um, now, granted, I don't know if that translates. You might know this better, Matt, because you travel around the world with a lot of these guys at Expos. But... Does it translate globally as well? He is the most valuable person in the world. Right. The active competitor, he is he's at the top. Right. And it's not a second close. It's not even close, right? And and it's crazy because whenever, you know, Chris is wonderful too. Whenever we ask anything yeah. of him, he's always makes himself available. Spoken, nice. He's great. Um, so of course he is the reigning classic physique champion. Um, and that's a great division. And what what great folks at the top of that division. Yeah. I mean, just watching those posing routines in that division, um, watching the way people respond to that division. Of course, bikini has also become a very popular division as well. Um, you know, as has, um, I'll be honest with you, you know what's been a real surprise? Um, the Miss Olympia. It's really held its own. Andrea Shaw, the reigning Miss Olympia champion, what a great look for that division. Um, the way the fans respond to her, um, the way that they respond to her images um, are very positive. Yeah. which is a big step forward for women's bodybuilding. Um, and, um, yeah, of course, you know, men's physique is still very popular as well. But the bottom line is there's now 11 divisions at the Olympia. 11 divisions. Remember before when I started saying to you, um, when AMI bought the Olympia in, in, the, in 2004, there was 94, 95 pros that competed. This year, there was about 225 athletes that competed at the Olympia, 225 pro athletes. And it'll probably go up this next year. And it's going to keep going up because now we have the wellness division, which is another division that, you know, I talked to J.M. Mannion. J.M. Mannion's um, convinced that within about three years, the wellness division, you know, may be the most popular division in the world. Um, or certain- yeah, I, told him, I, th- I think I think in the next two years, wellness is going right. to be right at the top. I, I still think it would be men's bodybuilding. Well, no, men's bodybuilding will always Yeah, the Mr. Always Olympia is always going to yes. be the thing. It's always going to be the thing that people are going to want to know the outcome of. But um, we're starting to see a lot of momentum. And you know what's also starting to narrow a little bit, which I'm really proud of? When I took this job, the gap between Saturday night and Friday night was enormous. In other words, Friday night was kind of the redheaded stepchild on the event, and then Saturday night was the main event. And that always frustrated me because I always said, the fr- what happens at Friday night at the Olympia is theoretically it's the second biggest night of the year in the sport. Yeah. It's the finals for the, the figure Olympia, the fitness Olympia, the Miss Olympia, um, the, women, the women's physique Olympia. It's the prejudging for the Mr. Olympia. What happens on Friday night, I always thought was a big deal, but it didn't get the love that it deserved. It was always considered. So what I did was we came in and um, Tamer and I spoke about this and we decided to move 
the 212 finals to Friday night. This coming year, we're going to have the wellness finals on Friday night. So suddenly now, the gap between Friday and Saturday has narrowed to the point where Friday night is almost as big a night now as Saturday night. And that was really important to me because it frustrated me that people would dismiss the Friday night where maybe compared to Saturday, it wasn't as big. But I'll tell you what, compared to every event around the world, it's significantly bigger. And it always frustrated me that people didn't see it that way. And now because of the popularity of Wellness and Miss Olympia and the 212 Olympia and all that, I think we're starting to see that happen. I, th I think the reason why I think wellness is going to really take off when wellness was happening at the expo, I was getting Liz Connolly back because she's was giving out the award from trifecta from trifecta and getting her to the stage was a nightmare because as we walk down the aisle, you're 20 yards deep and there's already people holding their arms up and hold their camera. And we had to, to get through there. And I looked around and I'm like, there's probably 5,000 people here standing around here to watch this. And it's not like that for some of the other divisions, but for it to be a new division and for it to literally stop it and see all these people paying attention to this, I went, this is only the first year. Yeah. What's going to happen two years from now and three years from now? It's just going to keep bigger and bigger. Yeah, and I got to give you know Tyler Mannion a lot of credit for that as well. I remember we were having a meeting earlier in the year deciding when we wanted to put the wellness. And it's, it's sort of like an Olympia rite of passage that when you're a new division, we started off on the expo stage and we run the entire division on the expo stage. We don't move it to the main stage. The, the we call it the Joe eater, the main Olympia stage yeah. the night stage. We don't do that until it's had a year or so to kind of prove itself. Right. Of course. Um, plus we have a lot to fill on these of stages. Course. These shows have gotten very long. And um, when we decided to, um, so it was Tyler who actually said, put it on the expo stage and um, one of the reasons he said was because, you know, we're trying to give the expo a comeback too because the expo, you know, we didn't have the expo the year before. It was in a new city. And um, he said, if you put the wellness on the expo stage, um, that'll really provide a, a, ch a charge, yeah. um, an infusion of people to come to the expo. And he was right. And um, so that was another benefit of having it on the expo stage um, as well. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of momentum behind wellness right now. And well, you know what it is? It's shock value. Yeah, we yeah. talk about it all the time. So why is bodybuilding, why is wellness, we consider now these like the divisions that people are paying attention to. It's shock value because whether you're a male or female and you look at a wellness competitor, you say, how does she look yes. like that? Yes. Thank you. It's yes. funny you say that because especially an elite wellness competitor. It's so, yes. yes, it's yes. so different so from different. what we've ever seen. Yes. yes. So different. First of all, it is almost illogical. Like their, yeah. their physiques are unlike anything. You know, they, in these girls, first of all, they're beautiful girls, right? Yeah. And they have these sweeping quads and these, this, the, this lower half development that um, is unexpected, right? Yeah. And they walk out, but it's, it's not what makes the wellness work is it's not just that these are random people that decided that that's the physique they wanted to build. It's what their structure is. Yes. It's what their body type allows them to do. Yes. That's what makes wellness so cool. This isn't just a bikini girl who decided, I'm going to go ahead and start doing more squats. These are, these are body types that lend to that type of proportion and that type of structure, which makes the wellness unique. And you're right, when you see an elite level wellness, like an Olympia caliber, caliber mm -hmm. wellness competitor, it is eye-popping, jaw-dropping, yes. unlike anything in the sport. I, I say this a lot to... Different girls will tell me, like, I'm going to train for wellness. You can't train for wellness. 
it's a genetic disposition, so to speak, to have your lower half like that and your upper half like that. And have a waist. And that's- a tiny waist. But I think the reason why open and wellness will always do, will always be, the, in my opinion, the two that will go to the forefront. If you're a men's physique guy, you can see, uh, you know, obviously they're elite level, but there's guys at a lot of gyms that are physically that size, you know, a six foot, 200 and something pounds, or a bikini girl that's, you know, five foot five, that's 120 pounds. You see other girls at that. They're not elite, but when you see a 300 pound guy in shape, you don't see that anywhere. It's, there's, only, there's only a small handful in the whole world. That's right. And the wellness is the same thing. There's only a small handful in the entire world that look like that. That can look like that. That physically can. Same thing. You, you can't see a big Rami anywhere. Right. There's only one. Yeah. You know, but there are, in some of these other divisions, there are people that can look like that. So I want to ask you guys a question. If you look at the Olympia lineup, it's predominantly Brazilian athletes that are dominating this division. Yes. Very few, if any, just only a couple American athletes. One, have, top five. Is that right? Just Irishna. one. And you would know. She's that, Puerto Rican. And you're right. Manager. <laughs> That's right. So you would know. Yeah. Are we going to see more American athletes make their way into that top circle? Or why is I this? So. Can you explain to me why this is happening? You, why this there is aren't? my opinion. But go ahead. You first. Every year someone pops up. Yes. Now, like we are seeing more and more faces. Like at first, there was like a couple of girls that came out and like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, they were trying to gather the division, right? right? And say, okay, who's, who would fit this? And then all of a sudden, like these girls are just popping up left and right. Like they're just appearing. But listen, man, once the division's made, like they're going to come out of the woodwork. Yes. Like there's a guy, there's like four or five big Ramis in a basement somewhere training that yeah. we don't know about yet that are going to come about. And it's the same thing, I believe, with wellness. See, wellness, I think you're seeing a lot of the Brazilian girls because that division has been operating down there for 15 years. Right. You know, Eileen Barreto, she's not a pro. She's a, a NPC competitor. She won two Arnold Classics down there seven and eight well, years Ange- ago at wellness. A- Angela won 50 or 60 yeah, titles A down ton there. of shows. So, she's the Dexter Jackson of the division, right? So these girls have been, they've been competing in this for 10 or 15 years. So sure. now when the pro league has comes and says, we're bringing on wellness, they're ready to go. Yeah. They're just ready to go to where these other girls that might have the ability to, to have that physique, they've just started training for it. Yeah. The ones that do have Okay, the guys, so. let's be real. Where did it come from? Who decided to come up with wellness? It had to start from, <laughs> Brazil. was it Brazil, right? Yeah. yeah. It's been Do you Brazil know who, like, whose idea it was? I don't know the origins of it. So that we need to find, if anyone knows, comment below where it yeah. started. You know what? I'm sure JM knows. Let's the, say Johnny Styles. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of folks out there that really connect themselves to the start of that yeah. division. But um, I don't know the answer to it, but I just know that the fans love it and they respond really well to it and sponsors love it. And, um, Whenever we're able to add a wellness division to a pro show, it seems to really um, go. So, so Chris has, you know, in my opinion, he's the most valuable person out there. The most valuable woman is Yurishna. She has large. Yeah, but why is Chris Bumstead the most popular? Because he puts his content out, his social media, that, that right? That matters. If, if you're good on social media, and Chris does a lot of content. So too. I'm going to tell you, that's a great thing. And he's popular the same reason you're popular. Relatability is so critical. And when you can figure out a way, and this is a challenge that I'll give to everybody who's listening or watching. There's this. not a talent to this, Dan, by the way. No, it's not. It's not. It's, 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 sur- it's surrendering to your authenticity. Yeah. Surrender to your authenticity and people respond really, really well to it. And if you have the, and by the way, that's not easy to do. Some people feel like they have to play a part. They have to 
put out this thing. They have to be what they think the world wants them to be. But if you're willing to just authentically and vulnerably expose yourself and let people feel like they're a part of your journey and they see your weaknesses, they see that you're not afraid to cry, they see that you're not afraid to yes. be frustrated, they, they because we're all that way. Yeah. We all have moments where we cry and we all have moments where we're frustrated. We all have moments where we're up and we're down. And when people feel that and they feel like they're a part of it, that makes them gravitate towards those folks who are willing to put them out. I remember back in your um, time when you were kind of coming up and you were starting to get real popular, there were times where you did things that were not in line with that. I remember you once made a, a DVD called My House. Okay, I always yeah. make fun of you for it. And um, was it my idea, by the way? <laughs> I, I guarantee it wasn't your idea. Yeah. I know for sure that wasn't your idea because that's the antithesis of everything that you're about. And um, even to this day, when you post images of, you know, these, you, you're, you're, you've, look, you've achieved tremendous success, so you're at a different place in your life right now. Yeah. But I, I know that, um, and we could do a whole show, and I want to do a whole show where I'm interviewing you about your success because I love, I love talking about that. Yeah. Your story is incredible. But I will tell you that that My House video where you brought everybody inside and you showed everybody this big house you lived in and this nice pool you had and all this opulence that you were surrounded by, that wasn't good for you. Now, people love it because there's Jay Cutler fans that are going to love whatever you put out. But I think once you got to a place where you just kind of went in a different direction and you didn't want to be that guy, people really... Plus, the other thing that you had going for you was that blue-collar aspect of having been the perennial runner-up, been the guy that everybody was, you know, thought you should have won in 01. They thought you were dealt a disservice every time you didn't win, and they felt like they were a part of that ride with you. Mm -hmm. And then when you finally won, like I was a, and still am, a big Jay Cutler fan. I remember that night in 06. You know, we, I think we all got a little watery-eyed in the building there, right? It was like, it was our guy. He did it. You know, you, 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 and you, you didn't. beat the impossible. That's the thing. You didn't just win the Olympia, you know. You know, lots of guys, not lots of guys, but, you know, 16 guys have done this, right? Um, you I changed beat, the game. Yeah. You beat Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. You beat Ronnie Coleman. You beat Ronnie fucking Coleman, right? And that's the simplest way that I'll put it. That's something that people don't do. Nobody beats Ronnie Coleman, you know, except Gunter Schleerkamp, right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you were able to do that, and um, what an incredible victory that was. I always tell him, him getting second all those years was more valuable to yes. him. Yes. Because he was the underdog, so everybody loved right. him, and everybody got behind him. Yeah, for sure. And then when you won, they, they trashed you and get big. Well, now you're on, now you're on <laughs> top, though. Yeah, now you're on top. Once you're on top, then yeah. forget about it. You know, you're no longer the lovable underdog now. You're now the champ. And, and then, of course, 07 came. And um, one of my great memories, I mentioned Peter McGuff earlier, and we can, we can laugh about this stuff now. One of my great memories, um, people don't realize all the conversations that happen in the trenches, right? Um, I remember, of course, you beat Victor in 07. Controversial. Everybody yeah. had their opinion, which was great. And um, you know that obviously could have gone either way. And I think today you'll admit that. But after the show, Peter McGuff, who was the editor-in-chief of Flex at the time, decided to do a cover. And on the top of the cover, it said, did Jay deserve to win? And I remember that cover. I was so pissed off. And you were bro. so pissed. You were so pissed. And, you know, and Peter was doing his job. And if Peter had a do-over, I guarantee he still would have done it because it was journalistically the right thing because that was the conversation people were having. That was the, the, that was the water cooler conversation is who should have won that Olympia? Should Jay, should, have, should Jay have won it or should Victor have won it? it no, was, and it was Dennis Wolf on there too. And Dennis Wolf. Right. And someone else was, it was a four-person cover. Yeah. And of course, you know, 
they didn't pick the best pitcher of me, right? Of course, of course. And I loved Peter for that because it showed that he put his friendship with you aside for a minute and he did his job. And I know he pissed you off because nobody wants to be questioned as a champion, especially in a sport where we all kind of know each other. That's always, that's always tough. Um, and, um, but I just remember that. And, um, and I just remembered how, you know, how hard those times were and those moments were. I, it was my hardest year. Yeah. I won the Olympia. And I can tell you that if you said, okay, what was the worst year um, of the Olympia? It was my victory of 2007. Because right. for a year I had to walk around and be like, there's, there's Mr. Olympia. And then whispers of, yeah, uh, he should have won. And you know what? Right? That's a perfect, that's proof that for anybody who's watching this right now or listening, that if you walk around with that feeling in your stomach too long, it doesn't bode well for you because the next year you got beat. I got beat. You got beat. So you spent an entire year walking around fueled by the anger of the disrespect, not fueled by the good stuff. You were fueled by the anger of the negativity. And you showed up in 08 and, and Dexter beat you. Yeah. Now, granted, Dexter was incredible that night. But he never beat me. No, but like he never beat you before. And you know? and I and I'm convinced that if if whenever I whenever I see people out there and they start doing social media posts and they talk about how they just want to prove, you know, you used to use that a lot, prove them wrong and all that. But that's not that wasn't really your mantra. That was something a lot of people say. They want they they're they're motivated by their ambition to prove their detractors wrong or to earn that respect. And I always say if that's what's driving you. You're not wired in a way that's going to allow you to be the best you can be because for that year, that's how you were wired. And you saw what happened in 08. And then 08, you got beat. And then now you were motivated by different things. You're motivated by more positive energies because I remember getting to talk to you after 08 and it was a different person. You were back to being the underdog. You were back to being the guy that reconnected with why you love the sport. You changed trainers. You started working with Hani. And then next thing you know it, your mindset changed where it was just a different J and you got back to being yourself again and you won the title back, which just nobody had ever done. And still nobody has ever done win a title back after losing it. And I've always felt that that year, if there was ever an example for the world to see as to why you shouldn't be motivated by hate and anger and disrespect and all that, you should find other sources, more positive ways to motivate yourself. Be motivated because you want to make your son proud. Be motivated because you want to do right for your family. Be motivated because you've had a lifelong goal and you want to achieve something. But don't be motivated because of the asshole who said something in the elevator last week about how he thinks you suck. That's not mm-hmm. the motivation. Yeah. And if that's what drives you, it's going to it's going to hurt you in the end. Yeah, it was hard, man. It yeah. was well, like two years. I had a, like, question what my ability you know and you know you were a renouncer in 2009 and you know i mean what's your greatest olympia moment you think i mean now you promote it and you were before before promoting it it, what was so there's two that stand out one of course will always have the the sentimental value for me and it was 1998 um when i went to new york city and i attended my first olympia um it was at madison square garden it was the night ronnie one for the first time. Dorian stepped to the podium and announced his retirement. And um, I remember showing up, and I remember I was rooting for Nasser to win the show. <laughs> and um, and then, of course, we all thought Flex was going to win the show. And in the end, Ronnie was the last man standing before he collapsed. And um, it was an incredible night. And I remember being so blown away by the 
the production and the excitement in the crowd. And I didn't have great seats, but I was just there. I bought a ticket and I loved it. And that changed the course of my life. Now, the two Olympias after that, that really resonated with me prior to me getting this job. Of course, the ones that I've had since I've run it, they have a different place in my heart. But 01, Jay, um, when prejudging ended and you were ahead and we thought you were going to win the contest, I've always said that that physique, that physique in 01, I don't know that I've ever seen a better physique, ever. Now, it's possible that I have because, you know, we saw Phil at his best. Phil at his best was pretty incredible. Yeah. Ronnie at his best was pretty incredible. But at that time, I hadn't seen anything like that, what you brought you to You hear this. that, J-Mac? <laughs> you hear that? 2001. 2001 was pretty exceptional. It was pretty exceptional. Ago. Wow. Right. That's right. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, I think the moment at the Olympia that really stands out um, was the night that Bob Ciccarello stepped to the podium and you and Ronnie were standing side by side in the fall of 2006 and he announced that you won that show. That was amazing. And the way the crowd responded, um, I'll never forget it. That was also an intense time for me because my son was about to be born. Um, I think a month or two later, my son was, uh, what my, my son was born um, and I remember not being sure if I was going to be able to stick around the event long enough to watch it. And, um, I remember just being focused. Like I was watching my phone is the baby coming because it was thought that it might come early and all this stuff was going on for me. And it's funny cause we all have different life circumstances at different times. Mm, right. And yeah, for me, that right. was my reality at that time. And then you won the title. And I remember you had promised me cause we had pro bodybuilding weekly, the radio show at that time. And you had promised me that if you won, you would um, make yourself available to us. The next day you had a photo shoot and I remember, um, and everybody wanted a piece of you at that time. You were, you know, that was your, that was your day. And um, you made it a point to honor that obligation. And um, I remember opening the 06, that episode of Pro Body Only Weekly the next day or that Monday night. And um, we opened it with the soundbite of Bob announcing you the winner. And if there was ever a sound meter in a building, there has never been a louder crowd response than the night and the moment you were announced the winner. That was an incredible night. And I don't know that that will ever be topped because it takes so many unique circumstances. You had, first of all, you were a Vegas guy. So this was in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So you had the home field advantage, the crowd, all your supporters, your fans, you're the mayor of Vegas. So you had that going for you. Um, you had the fact that you had been trying to take the title from the best bodybuilder of all time. You had the fact that you had been runner up multiple times. Um, and you had the fact that everybody liked you. So all of those things kind of merged together. And also the fact that that was also during a time when reigning champions just seemed to not lose, right? We had these runs where, you know, Haney won it eight times and Dorian won it six times and Ronnie had won it eight times. So now it's a different culture. Now we feel like we show up and hell, you know, Rami's won it the last two years, but prior to that, you know, you had, you know, Brandon. The other guys walked off. They didn't get beat on stage. Right, yeah. exactly. So now we have you know, a different world where guys, we've, we've proven that every year you show up and you really don't know who's going to win. But during that time, to beat an eight-time champion, especially an eight-time champion in Ronnie, who was trying to break the all-time record that night and win it for the ninth time. So there was so many things in play. And, um, and when you won it, that was special. That was pretty amazing. 
Yeah, it was amazing, man. It was, I almost teared up a little bit because it was like you bring back those. It means so much more to me now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of called it. I kind of knew that it would it was coming. And, and like you said, it was against all odds with that. And, you know, granted, that probably wasn't the best physique I presented ever on stage, but it was just perfect for the time. And, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't believe it, man. You know, but we talk about, I remember the announcement, $155,000, you know, and now it's 400, which is bananas. Um, And, you know, that put me in the history books, you know, and coming from where I came from and being able to, you know, you remember you were here for the 07 Olympia and, you know, after after I won it uh, the next year, you know, he came, he stayed, Matt stayed at my house with me. And that was uh, a rough year. Yeah, it was a rough, you know, it was rough. And, and uh, it was never easy. And, you know, all those things flash upon you. So when you talk about the crowd, like what I only saw was white because like it seemed like people jumped and it's like almost like dust flew everywhere, right? right? And, uh, and, you know, of course, Gustavo jumped on me at the moment, which kind of ruined like my <laughs> whole thing. And I was like thinking the whole time, what am I going to say to Ronnie Coleman? Can you imagine I was going to win the, biggest title in the world and my third first thought process was like okay i won but what how am i going to handle ronnie because i knew that what it meant to him right and he was mad yeah he was upset obviously and uh that's how much respect i had for him but it was also like i thought about joe weeder and him telling me in 1995 when i worked in his office at 21 and he's like you're going to be the greatest like all those things cross your your mind and you know, I had huge sponsors. Muscle Tech was like a huge sponsor, and I have to give a lot of credit to them uh, for supporting me, giving me the finances, and you know, giving me the ability to travel worldwide. They introduced me to the military, which we currently travel yeah. extensively for today. Prior to COVID, um, it, they gave me a great guidance to be a great champion, and there were a lot of people that supported it. And you know, you always had a, a place for that. And I hope you realize that, that, you know, I got excited to be on your show every, every time, because that was like the only outlet at the time. Like we didn't have social media. You talk about my DVDs. That was like my, my media channel. Right. So coming inside my house and seeing my dogs and, you know, what I did on a daily basis, how I ate and, and slept and whatever, that's what creates branding. And that's what we talk about with, you know, when you're on social media, like I tell people, be real, don't try to be something you're not take things a step at a time. Um, but you know what, the things that you might think are corny are some people's like motivation. And that's all I care about at this point. Like, because I can look at those trophies in my office and, you know, you see everything sitting behind me, all those medals, but like what means the most now is the fans I developed and how I motivate people. It's funny you say that. I always think whenever I see people refer to you as a four time Mr. Olympia, and I know it's common to see the words, 4X, Mr. Olympia, Jay Cutler. And I think if there's any athlete, and, and by the way, we're always very proud when you do that because it's just like we're proud to this day. Arnold still refers to himself as a Mr. Olympia, and that's great, and we appreciate it. But I feel like the words four time or 4X don't speak to your story. And if there was ever a former champion who I would say stop using the 4X, yeah, it's you Olympia. because your story is so much bigger than the four titles. Because remember, you won it twice, you won it two more times, you were the only guy to ever lose the title and win the title back. You were the only guy 
to, you know, the, with, with your runner-ups to Ronnie. I just feel like your story from start to finish, it's so much bigger than the fact that, you, yeah, it just worked out where you happened to win four titles. But I feel like the way you won the first, the way you won the second, the way you lost in 08 and came back in 09 and won it again in 2010, I feel like that story is so much larger than 4X to me. And I've always felt that if there was ever a guy who might want to just drop the 4X, it's you. Now, granted, you're the only 4X champions, but it, but but you know what I'm saying. If there was ever somebody who would want to um, not identify himself to the number of titles that they've won, um, it, it would be you because I feel like your story is bigger than that. So th think of this. You got second six times. Right. So for 11 years, you I told him this top one day, two in the world. You were, you were a guy that was battling for that. Nobody else did that. Right. You know, Ronnie won eight, but he got second, what, once? Right. That was nine years he was yeah. on the top. So he was at the top of the throne for 11 years. Right. For two you know? straight, for 11 straight years, yes. you were one of the two best bodybuilders on the planet. It was I, actually 12 because I skipped 2002. I remember I got upset with you for doing that. And you told me to mind my own business. Um, there was a lot of people <laughs> who were upset with you, right? I remember Could have changed the game. Yeah, that was and that was a bold move to sit to that, especially after 01, where you a lot of people thought you won the contest, and you decided to sit out 02. That was a big blow to everybody. We were you know, we, some, we were devastated. <laughs> sometimes we'll we'll travel and we'll see Ronnie, and I've never said this before, and we'll be out eating somewhere, and, and I'll just see them talking, and and I just kind of look around at the people walking by. And none of them realized that these two guys were the top two yeah. battling for the best thing in the planet. Yep. These two guys, and we're sitting at a restaurant, and people are just walking by. They That's have right. no idea. And you're like, dude, there's like fucking, this is, this is, this is just weird. Like right. nobody knows these two guys battled this long for this hard, and they were all over the media, all over everything, and they're just two guys just sitting here eating, and people, These knows. young kids respect it so much nowadays. Oh, man. yeah. Like, they talk about, oh, I watched you and Ronnie. Like, more than ever. More than it ever was. I mean, that's it seems like they look at bodybuilding like that is bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, because I think Doreen and the Haney era was a little too further back, and it wasn't like... I know Gaspari challenged Haney like three years, right? He yep. was second. But they didn't have the publicity. Like, we crossed... Like, we were at the tail end of magazines into social media... And we had DVDs that displayed this back and forth. And, you know, Ronnie and I always had, you know, we battled even between supplement companies like, okay, who has the better? You know, there's still that little um, camaraderie of like with each other, like we kind of battle each other. Um, and, you know, but the respect is so massive for both of us because, I mean, we traveled to Pittsburgh every year, guest pose. You remember where I had him on my, he had me on his back one year. I walked out on stage and we would train together and, and, uh, you know, a lot of great memories. And, and I think that it's very hard for social media nowadays to people could collaborate. You know, I got to train even like with Brian Shaw, who's four times world's strongest man. And like the similarities were unbelievable. Yeah. Like I, I would tell Jay this for years when I was with. with and I didn't. I thought he was joking. You no, know? it's it's everything from four Olympias for for uh, world's strongest man's three Arnold classics, three Arnold classics. To, there's a I told you this the other day. There's a Brian Shaw in the NBA. There's a Jay Cutler in the NFL. That's right. Like it, it just. But yeah. the way they conduct themselves, where fans come first, and that's it. There's no. I'm not leaving early, and they always do the right thing. They yeah. they they put the they put the effort in 
where there's a lot of people, we all know names, that won't put the effort in. And you have to, you almost have to force them, and they still don't, to where I don't have to force Jay to do the right thing. I don't have to force Brian to do the right thing. They yeah. just, they naturally do. There are certain athletes that people just gravitate to. I mean, and it's no secret that I'm a big baseball fan, mm-hmm. specifically a big Baltimore Orioles fan, which, mean I, which means I grew up watching guys like Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken. And Cal Ripken was kind of the Jay Cutler, you know, that blue collar, showed up every day to work, you know, never missed a game. Always stayed after, was the last guy signing autographs, um, was always viewed as a guy who, you know, you know was, was relatable and um, never let his ego get to a place where he disconnected from his, his fans. And uh, I think that's, those are always the guys that I'm drawn to. And I think a lot of fans are drawn to guys like that, guys who just have that, you know, that we call that Iron Man approach to, um, to the sport and to what they do. Any, any, new, any new people coming up, I always tell them, just watch what Jay does. Just, yeah. He put the blueprint out there for you. It's right here. It's right. how to be successful. Follow it. That's yeah, just right. be nice to people. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Just you know, be, yeah. So as I'm sitting here talking to you, Jay, something just caught my eye over your right shoulder, and it's that cover. Did Jay deserve it? And the answer to your question is Dexter Jackson was the fourth. Oh, yeah. Dexter was the fourth uh, the guy <laughs> on that cover, right? So it's Dennis, Victor, um, and uh, yourself and, uh, and, 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 Dex- and Dexter Jackson. And uh, that was the cover that we were just talking about. I just saw it as I was, as I was talking to you. Can you um, believe I hung it on my wall? I can believe it. I can well, believe it some, because... There's some great images. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, this so, is 2001, by the way. So you know, what, you know what's funny? This was not long ago. You know, Jay signs you know, posters and whatnot. And I was like, well, you know, what's your favorite cover? And he's like, that one where I'm fucking tearing it off with yeah. Dexter and him. So, and he's like, God, it's my favorite cover. So I just said, you know what? And I texted Angelica. Yeah. And, it's right here. And I said, and I oh, said to Angelica, I said, Hey, what would it take to get this? So Jay can get it out there more. And obviously the conversation happened. She ended up messing me. And she said, as long as myself, Jake and Dan get one, and, go for and, it. And, and, and Jake, she got me the file. Jay took it one step further because not only did I got one, but he sent one to his other biggest fan who yeah. also happens to be my now that 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 baby that was being born the day on 2006 when you won the title is now my 15 year old son and he that's uh, driving by the way he was oh, I just saw that the other he day he got his learning yeah. so Dan <laughs> sent me a video a text message He's like can you believe that's happening right now <laughs> it's unbelievable so um, but yeah my son grew up a big Jay Cutler fan as well you know when you have the job that I have you're not supposed to have favorites but I always say unapologetically that um, that you obviously are somebody that I've always uh, connected with and always been very uh, supportive of and very grateful to because everything that I've always done, you've always been there and, and, uh, and I appreciate that very much. Do you think uh, Big Rami is going to repeat? I was literally just going to say, what are, you, really? what, what are you talking about? As a fan, tell us what you're thinking going into this year, like, not as, like, the, as a fan. Yeah, so when you're a 300-pound champion, your margin of error is great, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, hard. it's hard to nail that. Um, his team, Chad and, and Dennis James, they seem to have found a formula for him. There was a moment, though, in prejudging this year where it wasn't a sure thing no. that he was going to win. Um, Brandon brought it. And I feel like the story that got lost this year is just how good Brandon Curry was. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to dismiss Brandon. Brandon. Brandon isn't the most gregarious, outspoken guy. He's just a really good guy and good values, and he's a good human being and doesn't stir up a lot of attention but just spent the last year, went back to work and 
honed his physique in, and he was close to winning. He was close to being the second guy to lose the title and win it back. He almost pulled the Jay Keller. After prejudging, I I thought he was going to pull it off. A lot of us thought that there was a chance that that could happen, and I was hearing rumblings, and it felt like that was at the very least possible. And, um, you know, Rami ended up tightening up a little bit at night, and and, and he won the show, and that that was fine. I will say that, to answer your question, I don't know who's going to win the show this year. Um, I don't know if Rami is going to be a three-time champion or not. But it's hard to ignore how good Hadi Chupan is. Hadi Chupan is incredible. When you consider the combination of, you know, structure and size and shape and conditioning. and He's always on point. Just always on point. And, and I know that there's issues that he needs to deal with. Um, but I will tell you that, Hadi Chupan is good enough, or I would have to say that if I'm Big Rami, he's probably the guy that I'm most concerned about, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, I mean, listen, I have my opinions. I mean, I thought Brandon looked good enough to win it. Yeah. Um, Chupin, you know, I don't think, you know, he really needs to change anything. You know, I, I know, I don't know, you know, judging. I mean, he definitely isn't as big as those two other guys, meaning height-wise and maybe frame, you know, Brandon's pretty wide. Rami's just massive. Right. But, you know, listen, I, I didn't, my second year didn't get better. You know, I almost lost in 07 and, you know, it took me a couple of years to get my, get my, my form back. And so, I mean, listen, it's, it's really anyone's game and that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's a shoe in. He's got to earn it. No. And, and that's what I love. And you know what, uh, Steve Weinberger, the head judge and, and Tyler and their, their crew, they, they do a really good job of making these guys earn it and making these guys suffer a little bit up there and go through the motions. And, uh, I love the way these, the only thing I would have liked for this year, um, and I've been very open about this. Um, I thought at the very least, I thought Hottie was good enough to have been maybe kept in some of those call outs. You should have been. Um, but I, I understand why it was done that way, and I respect it. I do. Um, but as a fan, um, I thought Hottie was pretty good. Um, and, uh, and I'm excited to see what he comes back with next year. Who do, you, who do you think What do you think of some of the new guys coming up? What are your opinions on the, the Ians and the Nick Walkers and the, these guys? Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny because um, what did it, and, and, it, and it happened kind of quick, didn't it? Where all of a sudden we have these guys that they're not just coming up. Like Hunter's a top four guy now, right? And Nick's top five. And in Nick's his top year. five, right? I mean, you have two out of the top five at the Olympia that are basically new into the conversation. And they're in their twenties, right? So I think it's a really exciting time um, to think about some of the new blood, and we needed it too. We needed. I, th- that. I think this year we're going to get a couple of these young guns in there challenging some of the yeah. top top guys. And we're seeing that in a lot of the divisions also. It's it, not- is it a challenge for you to have two guys that live? in such foreign places like big Rami and Hadi, like they're not available through the year. And as a promotion, you know, and having, you know, an event as big as you do, like, you know, trying to bring these guys forward and, and showcase them as people. I mean, besides an Olympia poster, right. Uh, Is it, is it difficult? Like, do you wish that there was more access to these guys? So, um, it would be, I think, short-sighted for me to say, to view it as a negative, um, because in order for bodybuilding to evolve the way it needs to, it needs to have that global appeal. 
And yes, is it inconvenient at times when I can't pick up the phone and call Big Rami and say, hey, meet me in New York for a, an appearance or let's get you booked on a, a talk show here in the U.S.? Um, yeah, that is inconvenient at times. But knowing the way that he's received when he gets off an airplane in Egypt or wherever he's flying to and from, you've You've seen yes. it, Matt. You've been, been with him. He just was there in Egypt. He was just, right. was just in Egypt. So you've seen the way that he needs is. security. That's right. He's, I mean, it's like Tom Cruise getting off an airplane tell, here. Tell him, tell him. Yeah, dude, it, it was it was just anywhere he goes, yep. It's he's mobbed. Sure. And it's not like it's, Rami in Egypt is like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan. Here. Correct. Because bodybuilding to them, mm -hmm. it's a national pride thing to where here we're like, Oh, that muscle guy's just a, they're a freak, and they right. kind of brush it off. Over there, they're treated like professional athletes. Here, they're not, and that's, I think, why. So he's like, he's on a, yeah. I mean, come on, he knows the president now. Of course. Like, so selfishly, it's inconvenient when they're not local, but yeah. for the betterment of the sport and developing fan bases and inspiring people to take on the bodybuilding lifestyle in other parts of the world, guys like Big Rami and Hadi and athletes in other divisions, they're doing that. And, um, and I think that's, that's an important thing to, to just take note of and, and to appreciate instead of being disappointed that, you know, they're not available for us. Um, it's a good thing for the sport to have other regions have big stars. Is there anything that, that you can do on the Olympia side for someone like a hottie or the 50 other hotties that could come up to help them come into the country to compete? Like, is there, is there, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes they have visa difficulties. Is there something the Olympia can do saying, hey, this is a legit worldwide? Well, it's something we do. Yes. It's part of our process, as, as you probably know. We, um, you know, we do serve as the Super Bowl, the world champ. Yeah. In, the, in the eyes of immigration officials and folks whose job it is to determine who comes here, when you are a professional athlete and you make your living doing any particular sport, yeah. and that sport has its championship whether it's the olympic games or yeah. the super bowl or the masters in golf or wimbledon um the olympia serves that role for the sport of, of physique and bodybuilding competition so um we do write letters frequently to is, there, is there something that and you might not know the answer is there something that could get done to where if somebody's qualified for the olympia the u.s government would look at them like hey just like the olympics or anything else like if the nba needs to get somebody in here yeah, there's, there's really no blanket free pass okay. that's going to exist, yeah. especially in the climate that we're in politically. There's always going to be the need to um, yeah. scrutinize and analyze anybody who's coming into the country. But I will tell you, you know, the, the Hadi Chupan situation is probably the ultimate sign of just um, how far we've come. Because keep in mind, Hadi's coming over from Iran, yes. a place where there's a lot of challenges politically yeah. between those relationships. And, um, and I know his trainer, um, yeah. Hani Rambod, and um, the folks around him yeah. um, and our team as well. We've worked really hard to make it possible um, for him to be here. And, um, and he's, I think he's made his country proud. Yeah. I think when he goes back home to a hero's welcome, and he always honors his, um, the, the, the time frame that he's been approved for. He doesn't abuse the privilege. He's very respectful yeah. of the freedom that he has to come over here to compete. And then he goes back and he shares that popularity and that success with his own country. Um, so I think that's important. And uh, um, I, I don't know that there's ever going to be a, you know, a free pass yeah. issue because we're the Olympia, but I, I do think that we have figured out a model that has allowed people 
whose job it is to determine who comes in to understand yeah. what the Olympia represents for these folks who do these things for a living. I've, I've always loved one thing about bodybuilding. People don't give a shit where you're from, right. what religion you are, what color you are, what your sexual orientation is. They don't care. When you see Hadi up there, he's from Iran, and a lot of people in America might have opinions about that area. Everyone in that crowd, they cheer for him. When the show, we, when the show starts, we don't care. Nobody cares. We don't care. And they, you know, like I was sitting, Dana Lynn Bailey was sitting next to me, and she's like, she was just screaming for him, and she's yeah. like, hey, he looks amazing. I'm cheering for him. Nobody cares where you're from. Nobody cares. And I wish we could find a way to bottle that up and get out to the rest of the country and yeah. just, you know. It's true. Well, Ben Wiener used to talk about how bodybuilding was 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 nation building, right? He would always yeah. talk about that was his that was mm -hmm. his famous line. And uh, he's right. You know, he would bring the sport to countries around the world, hundreds. And um, he was always very proud of that. And I know that was a big thing for his legacy was to just to talk about what you just described perfectly, the role that bodybuilding in this industry plays and bringing people together. Because you're right, nobody cares the color of your skin. Nope. Nobody cares where you're from. We judge physiques. And yep. um, I, I think anybody who doesn't get that isn't seeing it the right way. And yeah. people need to step back and to appreciate that we are a sport. Really, unlike almost any sport in the world, we have done that almost more successfully than yeah. most other sports that we've been able to sort of eliminate um, that element from the way um, our sport is, 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 Do you, is handled. How would you feel about the Olympia like it was years ago going abroad one day? I will say this. I am not opposed after putting the Olympia on in Orlando with four weeks notice, I am fearless on the yeah. notion of putting the Olympia on anywhere in the world. Um, I think every country in the world wants us. We get inquiries all the time. And whether we're talking about South America, whether we're talking about Dubai, parts of Asia and the Middle East, um, whether we're talking about areas throughout Europe, these are um, countries, these are regions that support bodybuilding, that live the lifestyle, and they're a big part of what we do. And I know that there's a lot of challenges to doing that. There are parts of the world where women can't compete. Yeah. There are parts of the world that have other um, travel realities that make it hard. So there's always gonna be circumstances. But I'll tell you, in a perfect utopia of a world, I would love the freedom to put on an Olympia wherever because yeah. there is no greater satisfaction than being in a room with someone who is attending their first Olympia. Yeah. It is the ultimate bucket list item. I have fans coming up. I know you've seen it, Jay. I know mm -hmm. you guys have seen it. They'll come up emotional, tearful, embracing because they finally made it to an Olympia. Yeah that their whole life they've wanted to get to one, they wanted to experience it, they wanted to be inspired by it, they wanted to see the Jay Cutlers of the world in person. And those moments are incredibly powerful. Yeah. And to bring an Olympia to a different country, a different part of the world, would put me in a room with tens of thousands, thousands. of people who are all in that place. So I welcome that and I love that idea. You know, only what happened, who knows <laughs> whether it will happen. I would imagine that over the course of time, I'm convinced everything will happen. Um, but, you know, there's there's business elements of it. And there's certain things that we have to be mindful of. We see, we see it a lot. We go overseas to just expos, whether it's FIBO or wherever else. And Brazil have, is huge. Yeah. You'll have people come up Middle to East. you that they've never been able to come to the States for a right. show. 
but them seeing Jay at FIBO or, or one of these others, right. that's their Olympia. They come up and they say, you're the one and only manager, Matt, and I've no. always wanted to meet you. Listen, so when do the tickets go on sale? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting excited Okay, now. so Olympia <laughs> tickets will go on sale, you know, probably um, it'll be sometime around February, March. You know, the event is later this year. The event is in December, so we do have right. a, a longer timeline than normal. But people are going to ask, when do the tickets go but on ticket, sale? Tickets will probably go on sale sometime after Valentine's Day. Um, and um, VIP tickets will go on sale a little bit sooner than that. And um, sponsorships and exhibitor package will start to go on sale after the holidays. And, um, you know, we're, we're gearing up to, uh, to roll it out for 2022. It'll be the 58th edition of the Olympia. And um, we're pretty amped up about it. And I can tell you right now that our team is relentless about making sure that yeah. we do things that people haven't seen before. I love, you know what it is, whenever you go to the Olympia, because before I lived in Vegas, I would fly here for it. Sure. Just when you get on the plane and you know that, and as soon as you get in the airport, you all look around, who's on my plane? Here. You're looking around <laughs> that's right. and you're looking to see, you're like, that's my people, that's my, because you know people are going to the Olympia. You see the clothes, you see this, and then you start walking through and you, you just get that excitement and you get off and you get to the hotel and you're like, you smell the, it's the bad food on the plane that's, when they open the top yeah, That's right. You smell the fish. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, Jay, do you still fly commercial or do you fly? Yeah, yeah. You do fly commercial. See, look, Jay keeps it real. Of course. Jay keeps it real. You know, it's. Um... <laughs> we, we, uh, flights are a big topic of conversation on our. Oh, on our. Uh... You know, it's funny. I'm going to say this now. Two years ago. So I, I'll help him a lot with his travel. And I flew in or I, I went to Mexico first and then I met him there. Right. And. I said, hey, we book his flights. And if you're flying coast, coast to coast, he always flies first class. But there's no direct flights to Orlando. Right. So he's like, I'm like looking up this. He's like layover. And he's like, there's got to be a direct flight. I'm like, there's one. He's like, oh, fuck it. Just, just book it. So I put him on Frontier. And it's a red eye. Okay. Now, if you've ever flown on Frontier, the seats don't move. You're this, this. And he's messaging me. <laughs> they had Wi-Fi. This fucking plane. I can't <laughs> believe you put me on this shit. This is your fault. And he was stuck like this for five hours. So after that. So needless to say, Frontier's not going to sponsor the <laughs> I was just going to say, well, I'm like, how long till the phone rings from some executive from yeah. Frontier? Hey, I just got an email. You know the disaster we had in uh, with Unite? I don't know if you saw my thing. Regan and I went overseas. We basically were held captive in Germany and were forced to pay a bunch of money to get out of there. So United reached out to me and they said, hey, we see you and other people are connected. One of our salespeople wants to talk to you about setting this up so you get these big discounts. So I have this email in there. So maybe I'll pass it off to Dan too. I mean, I'm dead serious. They're like, they'll give you a percent of this. And because of what happened to you, we're going to connect you to this high-end salesperson. Yeah, shout so. out to our United 1K status. Since I just got renewed, by the way, and yeah, you did too. Yeah. Are you a 1K guy also, man? yeah. Yeah, I hit, so 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 this this whole this whole year Jay hasn't flown as much. Sure. He doesn't want to. I had to fly a ton, so I hit one k a couple months ago, and he was gonna miss it. And he so we were looking up flights. He's like, dude, I guess I guess gotta three, travel. He's like, know? I gotta spend three grand. He's like, what the? F so we're looking up this flight. This one's nine hundred. So we're just talking it the other day, and he sends this picture. It says, it's a video yeah. because of your such and such. We're we're gifting you 1K till 24, 23. Yeah, you know, and for those of you guys who don't know, if you are a 1K member on United, among the many perks is the pilot will often come out of the cockpit and walk over to you yep. 
and we'll welcome you. We'll ask you about your family. Yep. We'll welcome you and back. And they give you their business card. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. So there, it's the little things, right? Yeah. And you uh, get food before anyone else. That's right. Now. That's right. Yeah, you so, get treated. So it, Jay, it's, yeah, so Jay, so. Uh, yeah you, 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 you won't have to worry about So I had to earn it, like and you just folks. got it gifted. Yeah, I mean, listen, man, I, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to jump on the Olympia jet sometime. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we don't have a jet. Yeah. We don't have a jet. <laughs> well, maybe we're working no, on it. I've been trying to convince him to get a jet for years. I will tell years. you this. It's funny you say that. Jake Wood, our owner, could fly on any kind of plane he wants to fly he on. He flies Southwest. He still flies commercial. <laughs> He'll still fly Southwest. He has no desire to fly private. Um, and he would much rather spend the money on putting it back into the production or I putting it that. into prize money awesome, than man. he would seeing himself fly on a private plane somewhere. That's Jake all day. There's times where I'll say to Jake, there was one time where I was talking to Jake, not like, it was like last week, and I said, what are you doing? What's that noise in the background? He says, I'm doing my laundry. And I said, you're doing your laundry? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, Jake could pay for a staff to live in his house yeah, and he yeah. would never have to do his laundry. He would never, but Jake rolls up his sleeves every day and does his own laundry do you, do you and your laundry yeah, I do, and, yeah. and, and flies whatever airline and uh, he you know he what it takes but uh, and he's uh, I love guys like that because he doesn't take himself too seriously you know. Well, listen, man, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it was you. I know it was a lengthy one, and uh, you know we're really excited for the Olympia. It's good to get a little into the nitty gritty about the background because you know there's always that face that people are seeing, and you know you you're the man of of many words you've been traveling around to a lot of the npc events throughout the year ifbb you know you've shown face i saw you were at mel show last weekend it's great that you're supportive you know you're at, you went out to the cal and i know that jake came with you i was able to watch that speech and you know our appreciation goes out to you and and uh, what you guys are creating and you know listen man that the olympia is back and uh we're really excited for 2022 thanks jay thanks matt yeah, thanks me, for having me, me too you know i you know i I always think back to when we went and had coffee in Florida when I was down there. That's right. And we started talking about this, that, and the other. And you were the first person that kind of welcomed me in and said, hey, you know, what can we do? Like, make this feel like you're part of this process. And, and I appreciate it a lot. And I, and I know the athletes that you guys have taken care of and done stuff for, I know it's greatly well, appreciated appreciate with them. It, and with Trifecta, you know, because they're very close to me and Jay and a lot of other people. And, and they've all became part of the family uh, at the Olympia. So thank you again for everything. Well, I appreciate it. It was great to be here. Thank you. Boom.